we have on board here today, Stephanie Gilliu uh, of Project South and Lady Mansfield of Project South. And before I give you a little bit more formal uh, introduction uh, to these two wonderful human beings, I wanted to just share the mission of Project South with y'all. Project South is a Southern-based leadership development organization that creates spaces for movement building. We work with communities pushed forward by struggle, and there's a lot of struggle going on right now, um, to strengthen uh, leadership and to provide popular political and economic education for personal and social transformation. We build relationships with organizations and networks across the U.S. and Global South, to inform our local work and to engage in bottom-up movement building for social and economic justice. Welcome, uh, Lady Mansfield, Program Director of Programs for Project South and part of Project South's leadership team. And welcome, uh, Stephanie Gilliu, uh, Movement Organizing Senior Strategist. Hello, how are you doing today? <laughs> hey, hey Rita. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you. Doing well. I'm um, ready to get into this discussion. Okay. Well, Thanks could you all give us, um, give us a short history and overview of, of uh, Cop City? Um, you know, wh what and who are the driving forces be uh, behind the construction in an urban forest of a Cop City? Can you share that with me, with us? Sure. Um, I can jump in and, and Lady will, will help fill in the blanks. And we're excited to, to talk about um, just some amazing resistance that has happened over these last few months. But it start, starts really the origins of Cop City with the, the protests and the, the racial justice uprisings in 2020. Um, and the heat that came down on, um, rightly so, on the mayor of Atlanta at that time and the Atlanta Police Department um, for the murder of Rayshard Brooks, which happened um, just really yards away from the Project South and Hunger Coalition building um, in South Atlanta uh, in a neighborhood we call Brownsville, um, based on its history as a historically Black neighborhood. And the, the police were under a lot of heat. And so as a concession, um, as a way to, quote unquote, build morale, this um, Cop City Training Center was um, that was designed and developed um, as the as the largest training center um, of its kind in the nation. Um, and so we know that this is uh, not just about Atlanta, but it is being built in Atlanta, a predominantly black city um, in the South with a long history of resistance, but also a uh, a long history of police repression, whether it was the red dog units in the in the 80s and 90s um, or the Gilly, the Georgia Israeli law enforcement exchange that trains up Atlanta police um, with folks in the Israeli defense forces um, across the world in some of the most brutal urban warfare tactics um, on the planet. And, and that is what what Cop City is designed to do. It is a uh, replica of a of a full sized city for um, police training in deep military uh, maneuvers. So whether that's helicopter sniping, raiding raiding buildings and houses, um, car chases, I mean to to whatever you can imagine, the opposition has really played a particular 
card in stressing that it is also a training center for firemen. And, um, and that has been part of its disinformation campaign. It is deeply rooted and being paid for by the Atlanta Police Foundation to some extent. Um, and so at the, uh, the origins of this, of this project, the city of Atlanta um, it has negotiated a lease with the Atlanta Police Foundation of 381 acres of land um, that would be about $10 a, a year. Um, so it is almost a free giveaway of public land, which is one of its one of the, the major um, fronts here. Um, but just as recent as July, uh, June, the end of June, the city doubled overly, uh, almost, um, you know, doubled its its investment and decided to invest $67 million of, of public funds into this project. Um, and so that has been a story in and of itself of how Cop City was designed and developed. Um, and then there's the story of the resistance and how Georgia State and City of Atlanta have really increased, heightened, um, and escalated the tactics of repression, starting with domestic terrorist charges in December to the shooting um, of a peaceful protester in January um, who was living in the forest as a part of the defense um, team. Um, to additional domestic terrorist charges and now resisting a, um, a bottom-up uh, political process to put a referendum on the ballot. Right. right. Thank you for that. Um, would y'all like, do you want to say anything about the Atlanta Police Foundation? I know that it seems to be one of the driving forces around uh, Cop City and it's it's confusing to me why the city is giving them the money to build what they want. <laughs> Mute. Thanks, y'all. So one of the things to note about the Atlanta Police Foundation, I think, is to go back one and understand what the referendum is and what has been approved um, to be able to connect it to why there's a discussion around the Atlanta Police Foundation and what is happening in the city um, of Atlanta in terms of approving this project. And so I think the biggest thing from that is that this particular Yeah, that this that this Atlanta Police Foundation it really represents um, some of the worst of private public partnerships, right? Where the city is is basically um, contracting with a foundation that is made up mostly of corporate entities, including banks, uh, Home Depot, Delta, uh, Waffle House, and others, to support um, the mayor, the chief of police, the Atlanta Police Department. Um, to set the direction and of of the police forces and and honestly, it's been a a question that's come up and a, a a challenge that we've we've brought up to folks in the neighborhoods, folks on the street about why why would these corporations be supporting um, something like this um, at all, much less driving it and being kind of the the central central force behind it. Yeah. And for folks that might be listening in on the podcast, 
lady just got cut off, but I'm sure we'll get her we'll get her back very soon. And both you, Stephanie, and Lady have you know brought up the question of the referendum. Um, could you share with us uh, what what it actually does and kind of where we're at with it? I know there's you know barriers thrown up every single step of the way, and we don't necessarily need to get into all of those pieces. But I think the thing about the referendum that's so um, uh, important is the kind of response uh, that that the residents of Atlanta have been giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, in, I mean, over these last year and a half, um, there's been a, a lot of different uh, groups and and folks and organizations resisting Cop City and and uh, at the legal level, at the legislative level, at the city level, um, and at the grassroots and and direct action levels. The referendum, I think, was a was a really great shift um, after 15 hours of straight direct um, dissent at the city council in late June. And um, I think 300 people spoke and it was mostly local Atlanta voters um, speaking to the, the detriment um, and devastation of this project. Um, and really putting putting strong recommendations for other types of solutions out there. Um, within few days after they the city council ignored those 15 hours of, of public comment after many years of public comment and protest um, throughout the, the last few years, um, the coalition came together and announced a petition drive to get um, a set of signatures um, enough signatures to put a referendum onto the ballot, onto the November 2023 ballot, basically to give Atlanta voters an opportunity to decide, an opportunity to um, say yes or no to what the city is moving on, which is the lease. And I think I think Lady can speak more to the specifics of, of that, um, the referendum and the type of um, the type of uh, ordinance that it will that it will counsel. Lady, I'm sorry you got cut off. Please continue with the thought you had and, and go ahead and share with us about this referendum and, and the community's response. I know y'all have been deep into canvassing, so please share that. Right. So um, the referendum, well, first, Back to the Atlanta Police Foundation. It is established under the disguise of a public safety entity. So this Atlanta Police Foundation works with the mayor's office, the city, to create programs under the disguise of public safety. This also includes programs that are um, geared toward youth in terms of public safety. So there's a lot under this umbrella. That's important to know and to notice a disguise, right? Because we know what this means in terms of community. So this referendum, how that works is that ordinance is simply a city law. We have laws. We call them laws when it comes to state and national government. When you hear ordinance, and a lot of us may know that, so it's not to just uh, be dismissive of the knowledge we have. But for those that didn't, and I had to learn an ordinance is just simply a local law. Our local for the city of Atlanta has the ability to create ordinance under public safety. 
So ordinance that are local laws that the city creates falls under public safety. That is one of the reasons why there is a connection right now to Cop City, the city of Atlanta's mayor, being able to make a decision and the connection to the Atlanta Police Foundation, because all of that is under the disguise of public safety, which legally allows for that decision to be made by the mayor of the city of Atlanta. And so with that, what this is saying is that in an ordinance, city council representatives has the ability to make decisions on behalf of those that elected them and the folks that they represent to pass ordinance. They are able to have that voice there. Doing a public hearing on Cop City, over 300 community members showed up to tell city council representatives, we want you to vote no. That we don't believe that this cop city that's being created is something that will offer public safety to the citizens, to the communities of Atlanta. In spite of that, the city council, the majority of city council representatives still voted yes. There is a process that's in place for some, and it's not necessarily known or used a lot, utilized a lot. But that allows community members, citizens, voters to say, if my elected official votes against the wishes that we as a collective said that we wanted, we have the ability to say we want to go past what you have decided as city council and put it on the ballot so that we can vote on it. That is what this is, this referendum. It says that our city council representatives did not make the decision in the best interest of the public and based off what the constituents have said and the community has said. And so we want to put it on the ballot in order to vote on it and the people say whether we want Cop City or not. That is the process that we're in. Um, that is the referendum that would be on the ballot, providing we make the necessary check marks that are put in place from that same system that wants it, those check marks to say that it should get on the ballot. So um, it's important to know all of those different details, because then we understand not just our voice, but what our city council representatives does, but also this disguise of public safety when it comes to making decisions like creating a city-sized police training facility that is very close to a military facility that would also include our fire department in it underneath the disguise of public safety because the public is saying none of this makes us feel safe. In fact, it's more of a threat and it brings more um, surveillance and more penalties to our community just for being who we are. And in a city like Atlanta, that also means a large black and brown community population that would also be training ground for anybody that is in this facility. Where will they train? They will train in the community. Yeah, that's that's extremely helpful, um, lady. That that is overwhelmingly valuable. And just just to make note of a couple of things that you said. I mean, uh, it's been mentioned that th over three hundred people testified. I know that I went to to one of the two hearings that were held, and there were literally thousands of people 
both inside and on the outside trying to get in. So while, you know, the testimonies might have been limited to 300, there were thousands of people that were motivated to show um, their their opposition to Cop City. And as I understand it now, the referendum has over 100,000 signatures in a very, very short period of time with lots of restrictions imposed in the way you can get those signatures. So this whole process by the city has been, you know, putting up one barrier after another. But I would like to ask you both, um, because I'm very curious about it. I haven't you know, actually been able, well, first I wasn't able to, uh, allowed to canvas, <laughs> you know, because I didn't live in the city of Atlanta and then I wasn't able to canvas. Um, but I know you both have been doing that. And so, you know, I'm uh, sort of assuming or, or guessing that in the course of your conversations with folks, you know, in the course of your work in doing deep organizing and the kind of, you know, protect and defend resistance that's, that's building up, that you've you know, been engaged in conversations about what would public safety really look like in Atlanta, in your neighborhood? Um, and, you know, if you want to share just some of your, you know, uh, amazing experiences in, in deep, you, you know, with your deep involvement in this work, that would be, that would be terrific. No, that's great. And and that was actually one question that I think Lady and I asked when we were um, training folks up to to go out to Canvas um, and and it was just what what does safety look like to you? Um, and we borrow from partners like Spirit House and other abolitionist organizations that we've been in um, partnership with for many many years about how to talk about and build true community safety. And and the answers to a simple question like what safety looks like uh, when you ask ten people sitting in a circle, you know, is generally that that folks are looking out for each other, that they have a sense of well-being and and uh, access to um, shelter, to food, to um, to to what they need in a day. Um, that there's transportation so they can move about freely, um, and that there's not the kind of surveillance and threats um, that are are deeply invested in um, by Atlanta Police Foundation itself. And we also got to the question of what would you want to see in your community if $67 million of taxpayer money was invested towards true community safety and community well-being? And that question um, was a way that we could flip a conversation and, and really get into what people want to see. Um, and I think the number, having a getting 104 raw signatures in the span of about six or seven weeks um, is incredible, given that the the mayor himself was only elected with around fifty thousand uh, votes in October twenty twenty one, which is uh, a part of the restriction. And and I think that um, folks have really come out strong to say they want to have a voice. And so for us, public safety looks like people's democracy um, and being able to build uh, space for political power and political participation from the ground up. It looks like economic security, access to, um, to, to what people need, and that's included in our uh, Mutual Aid Liberation Center in the form of the Emoji Garden, in the form of the Hunger Hotline, um, folks being able to address their family's needs, um, getting in and out of school without having to deal with surveillance and police. And, and that was something that came out of one of our 
previous campaigns led by young people, when they found out there was a contract with the Atlanta Police Department and the Atlanta Public Schools, and it was a $10 million contract, they were like 10 mil, 10 mil for real. And so we kind of used that um, that's 67 mil for real, like what um, are y'all doing? And what would we want to do with that, with that money if we could invest it in community needs? And so that was a great way that we trained up both the, the canvassers and organizers, but also a question that we took into communities. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting to me that people uh, really can only develop a vision based on what they know to be actually possible, right? And, uh, you know, that vision of being free from economic insecurity, uh, whether it's housing or food, um, being able to breathe clean air and not die from uh, excessive heat, um, being able to walk and get about freely uh, without the feeling that you could be shot down, um, that you, at, at the very least, you're being surveilled. I mean, that vision of what's possible, I think, is also, you know, becoming uh, more deeply rooted as a necessity, you know, for for us and our people. So I wanted to to ask you, uh, ask you both again, um, 104,000 signatures, um, months of intense work, um, knowing all the while that, you know, the, the laws are stacked up against us, right? Um, and, and yet the people, you know, are, are preparing um, uh, for the next steps. And, and I wondered what you might want to say about the next steps, Cop City, not Cop City, you know, the, the community, the kind of strength that's being built in the communities that are most impacted um, by uh, uh, the creation of an urban warfare nightmare, um, you know, a, 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 con a continual nightmare, not just an occasional one, but all the time. Um, and if you wanted to to share, you know, some of some of Project South, some of y'all's thoughts about what's next and and what you've learned from the community in this process. So what's next? Um, when, so first, on the learning from the community, um, the whole process, I mean, Project South has been, and you know this, Rita, uh, for 30 plus years in existence. And I think it all has been a learning exchange from community members to staff to the whole ecosystem of Project South. It is that circle of learning exchange and mutual, right? <laughs> mutual accountability uh, to the process. And so I think with this, um, and in particularly Cop City, it has been leaning in and really learning from community around what is safety, but also the information is and knowledge. You know, um, some of the movement organizers that have been out talking to community members have come back and we have debriefed. And some of the things that elders are bringing um, in is this reminds them of some of the moments of martial law. 
Like they're using these terms, like this is very similar to past experiences that we've had and talking about not just law enforcement, but these arms that are meant to oppress and suppress us um, as community members. So there's always that learning, but that connection to history to understand this moment, but what this moment will mean to the future if we're not able to not just contend with it, but interject on it. And so that is something else that's coming. But I also think right now for us as Project South is some deep political education, uh, understanding not just what this moment means, but what is a referendum? What are policies? How do we understand our policies at a time when there is distrust in the system, period, uh, whether it's voting, <laughs> whether it's those that are making decisions for us, there is distrust and, and part of not building trust with the system itself, but trust with each other is also being able to gain knowledge and understand what is this moment about, but what power do we have? And that power is at the ballot box, but that part power is also building in community. And so even around that question of safety, that is coming out. Like one of the things that has come out is what does it mean to be accountable to each other under a safety? Like what is public safety? What does it mean to be accountable to each other as public community? <laughs> is that a such thing? And we're saying yes. Community is saying yes. And, it, and the answers don't lie within the Atlanta Police Foundation. <laughs> it doesn't lie within the mayor or city council that that should represent where it lies within the people. So I think this next phase for us is deep political education, listening to community members, hearing what would it be to spend $64 million? If we looked at public safety, what would it mean to have $64 million to budget with as community members? How would we practice that? How would that look? How do we tie that back to our own everyday life? Um, and that is what's coming out. So I, I do know we're in the season of political education, but it's also a preparation, a season for preparation for what we know is coming down the pike that we see all across the South and that we see sweeping the country in terms of laws that are coming down, in terms of power, in terms of this um, move to like ultimate power over our control of our bodies, of our lives. Community is saying, I feel like there is a powerful force that wants to control me mentally, physically, spiritually, and financially. How do we put those things in place for ourselves? And that includes that political education, but that listening and then doing the work to create these alternative spaces where we can coexist with each other. I, I, I think that's amazing. I mean, I, I think, you know, I know that uh, Project South for years has been um deeply engaged in the question of governance and it, it's, you know, and for us to engage in the process of governing ourselves, like you said, lady, who are we responsible to? Who are we accountable to? Um, 
uh, and and really, really building that kind of community infrastructure um, that is accountable uh, to the people in the community um, and, and yet is able to resist at the same time the kind of oppressive uh, uh, battalions that are coming down on our communities. And having said that, I just want to ask you both, um, are there are there last words? I mean, there's so much. I mean, there's so much to talk about that Cop City is emblematic of, uh, is an example of a much broader force uh, that strips us of whatever remnants of democracy we have. Um, that, as you said, ladies, strips us of bodily autonomy, strips us of the ability, you know, to, to even feed and provide safety for ourselves and our family. So I just... I just wanted to to ask you both with your your brilliance and and the the deep amount of work that you've been doing how does this um how do we move forward uh after you know with all the lessons that we're learning uh in this fight around cop city do you have any any last words uh for us Sure I mean I think the one of the coalition's principles of of unity that have brought folks together from across Atlanta, and and I do think it's important to say it in two two ways that Atlanta has really put a fight up. We have really come together to to beat this thing, and it's bigger than Atlanta. This this what and there's been a a common um, denominator and thread that we say no cop city anywhere. Because even if this is defeated here, it could move to another city in the South. It could move to another place. It could morph as we know um, that we are in a longer term, long haul struggle um, and, and contending with some big forces, like Lady was saying. And like some of our younger organizers have said, this is a win-win. This was an opportunity to talk about almost every single front line, whether it's climate, police brutality, public funds, land use. I mean, it's been incredible, even to the international and global dynamics of movement and solidarity. It's been an incredible uh, opportunity for us as organizers and, and as a movement institution to have these direct conversations with for, for projects. South for the team that we put together for our organizers. We talked to over 2,000 people in 10 historically black neighborhoods around our building, our mutual aid liberation center in, in Brownsville um, by Carver High School. So that in itself is a win. And of course, our next steps are to continue building that base, building up the political education, building up the community leadership that can and will govern. Um, itself as these systems collapse under the weight of, of that type of contain and control um, and domination that they're starting to show in these little ways. But as they grow and accumulate and consolidate, we have to be preparing against that threat. And we feel like we are. Um, so we feel excited about that, excited about the skills that have been developed through this organizing drive, excited about the larger partnerships that are possible, not just in Atlanta, but across Georgia and across the South um, to really build up towards a vision that we do believe in, that we're not just in a reactive state, but I think the Mutual Aid Liberation Center is that training ground that we need for true community leadership. And to answer that sort of common question of like, don't the police need training? 
Of course, <laughs> uh, they need de-escalation training. There needs to be a kind of uh, of training that um, and a and a whole set of infrastructure that can handle and deal with mental health support with um, an all, many many ways um, transformative ways away from policing as a as a form of punishment, containment, control, and and honestly, at the end of the day. Um, a deadly force that is as that we have seen um, just in the last two weeks, a death at the ICE prison in Georgia and a death um, at the hands of police just two weeks, um, two weeks ago. And so those those deaths should be another call to action for a full abolitionist vision to be put into play. And I think we're now talking to community leaders, community residents, young people, um, folks who are invested in what happens in Atlanta to take those next steps and to decide what those steps are. Um, lady, I, I see you've got uh, a, a Mutual Aid Liberation Center uh, T-shirt on. Uh, if you if you'd like to share a little, you know, I know we got to start to wrap up. Um, and I just wanted to say one thing. I know um, I know some folks out there, are, you know, are curious about what happens if people vote the referendum now. I think right now we're just trying to make sure the referendum happens. That's first. But I think Stephanie answered the question. We won even if we lost, and that's always critically important uh you know for us to understand if the goal is to build you know people power movement power social uh social engagement um you know to 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 win the vision that we're holding but um i'm going to shoot it to you miss manson for uh any uh any last words on that mutual aid liberation center and if you'd like to add anything about the role you see it playing um as as this cop city struggle both continues and ebbs and flows uh in the future as well i mean the the fight around abolition uh is is a is a marathon so <laughs> right well, something to mention before going and going into the Mutual Aid Liberation Center um, as a practice, as not just the building, not just the building with people, but as a practice, is that you're right. Our goal right now is to get the referendum on the ballot. Um, and by doing that, what, what it would allow, to be very clear, what it would allow is for those of us that are going to vote to vote for whether we keep the contract right now that the city of Atlanta has entered with the Atlanta, Atlanta Police Foundation if that contractor is kept or if it's broken. We have the ability to break that contract, which allows for the building of Cop City. And so that is our goal to get that referendum on. But it, and in terms of the Mutual Aid and Liberation Center, as Steph said, and you said too, Rita, it's far beyond that, right? So as um, abolitionists, and even if you're not, if you're like not even on grips with that word, what does it even mean? I don't know if I'm down with that or not. What we do know is that there is a mutual love of each other for liberation and freedom for each other. And that's what that mutual aid, liberation and censor, the practice is that we are coexisting together and sharing this thing called life right now on this planet called Earth. 
<laughs> and that everything that is living and breathing from us as human beings to our animals, to our trees, to everything that's in this ecosystem, that we believe it all deserves respect, protection, and that it should be free of oppression. <laughs> And so in doing that, a mutual aid and liberation center, which is all over and all throughout the South, ours is nine gammon here, but there are folks holding this is that's where we practice what that means for us. We're able to think outside of the confines of what we've learned in school systems, outside of the confines of what we've been boxed in in capitalism. We're able to think beyond that and say, what is it to be mutually accountable to each other, to love myself, my people, and others, and how do I practice that in a way where generations from now I can be proud of where I was, proud of what my ancestors did, and proud of what I have created for those that will come after me. And so that for me is a sum up of what, what happens in a mutual aid and liberation center. At ours, it includes political education. It includes the Moja Garden with Hunger Coalition. It includes food justice and liberation. It includes thinking about environmental justice and liberation and climate there are other we have food here exchange clothing exchange there are others across that specialize in certain things they may solely be thinking about public safety <laughs> and this is a place where we come where you can be safe and protected but the thing about whatever that mutual aid liberation center is that's near you in your community for atlanta we're here south atlanta brownsville specifically we are here we want to be in mutual agreement with how we want to live this life together, how we want to live, how we want to be, and what our community needs to look like. And that's how I would say the Mutual Aid and Liberation Center will not just set up space, but it allows us to practice what we want, whether or not the system acknowledges or not, we are able to create it. And I think that's what's happening with this referendum. We can say we'll break the lease if we want to. What kind of power is that? Like you just made it. We just broke it. We don't want cop city. Um, and so that's what this is about. I love that. I mean, I love that. And and your passion, your intelligence, and your centering love as the motivating force be, behind all of our work, uh, you know, can change a whole culture. Right. And that's part of what we're trying to do. So um, I know our time is is running short. And I just want to thank you, uh, Lady Stephanie, Project South um, and everybody that has been engaged uh, and the Hunger Coalition uh, and everybody that has been engaged not only in this effort to stop Cop City, but in this effort for uh, liberation. Uh, love and liberation. And um, and I want to thank Trapanya Bonner for, for hosting us today. So thank you all so very, very much. Thank you all. Thank you all. Much love. Much love. Bye. All right. Peace, you all. Peace.